Hello, and welcome to the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and I'm here today with a very special guest. We have poet, essayist, and cultural critic from right here in Columbus, Ohio, Hanif Abdurkib. So uh, special thanks to, to Hanif for coming on the podcast here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Hanif recently released a, an essay collection titled They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us. Um, that's published through $2 Radio, um, which they just recently opened up a like a brick-and-mortar shop on uh, Parsons, right? On Parsons. I'm going there. After I read here tonight, I'm going there to host a, host a reading. Oh, perfect. There so, you go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a really cool space. Um, I went to this Booksgiving event they had. Yeah. Um, and yeah, cool drinks and food. And it's like a great location, too. It's great. They're doing great work. Yeah. So, um, so They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us um, has been a great success. Um, it's been on numerous best of lists. You know, really big publications are, are writing about it and giving it positive rev- reviews and everything. So what, uh, what has led you to this point career-wise? Like, can you kind of walk us through maybe like what got you to this point? Um, so I began writing about music um, largely in freelance sectors around 2009 and 2010, mostly locally, you know, like local magazines like Columbus Live and early iterations of, of like the other paper, which doesn't exist anymore and, and things like that. Um, and I wasn't making a lot of money and I would occasionally get freelance opportunities for slightly bigger national press places. Um, but because my, I was kind of um, spinning my wheels there, um, and I was getting a lot of feedback from editors about how my work, my, my music criticism was too poetic and like circling around the point. Um, I decided to give up music criticism and lean into poetry, which, you know, Columbus has a really rich and good poetry community. And so I was really able to, um, figure out how I fit in really effectively and, and, um, you know, write poems and figure out how to make poems work for me, um, and around 2015, I decided to dip my toes back into the water of writing about music, but from um, a, a more long-form lens and less of a critical lens, and found some success with that and um, was able to, to build a catalog of work um, that seemed to, to stitch together into a collection really well. Very cool. Yeah, and, and from my standpoint, um, you know, I, I studied music in college, so I have, you know, this sort of very, like, sometimes technical or non-poetic yeah. <laughs> view of music. Um, sometimes studying something for that long can kind of... Where'd you go? Yeah. Uh, Capital University. Uh, yeah, I went to Capital too. Yeah, oh, yeah. cool. So nice. you were at the conservatory over there? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Which is a great program, and I, I had a great experience there and everything. Um, but just it was just something I noticed, like, you know, reading your, your writings is like um, that poetic angle and sort of, uh, you know, talking about experience and, and identity and, like, it was just, it was sort of, it was refreshing for me to like get that angle after, you know, so much for me, a very technical approach to thinking about music, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. So, um, in your writings, um, you sometimes reflect on how the area you grew up in and, and how the city of Columbus as a whole has changed. Um, but it still seems like, you know, you have a lot of love for Columbus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So like, how, how do you balance those feelings? Like, how does that, like did moving away and coming back to that change your perspective at all or um i mean i think i so i lived in connecticut for two and a half years and when it was time for me to come home i could have lived anywhere i could have lived anywhere in the country i was you know my i didn't have a job in an office anywhere um or i did but it was winding down you know um and you know i could have lived anywhere i wanted to Mm -hmm. um and i decided to come home because 
despite my frustrations with Columbus, I know what those frustrations are. I know the interior of those frustrations. And I think if you're going to live somewhere um, that is um, both life-giving and, and very frustrating, which is, I think, a lot of cities, almost any city, for someone who's lived there their whole life, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to fold back into a place where the joy is what I knew and the frustration is what I knew well, too. So I knew what to expect from both of those things. Um, and, I, I mean, I love it here. I, I am... I love it enough to be critical and fr- critical of it and frustrated with it at times, but I, I love it here more than anywhere else. Yeah, I, I, I think I know what you mean as far as like, even despite how things have changed. I mean, you know how they've changed, yeah. and you, you had sort of close to your heart. So, so you write a lot about, um, you know, going to concerts. Definitely a big part of your, yeah. you know, your like youth experience and everything. Um, do you have a favorite Columbus music venue? Or like, like oh, one that's man. closed down or Little Brothers was cool. You know, I miss do you remember Little Brothers? Uh, you... no, I don't actually. Are you uh Little Brothers was great. Um it's gone now, but Little Brothers was really great. Um you could see a lot of really cool bands there and it was it felt like, you know. Um I I think I came of age kind of um in a time where the basement was kind of a different the basement's different than it yeah. Is, yeah. It was just wild. I was there recently, I was there to see um um Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties played a show here. And I went, and they played in the basement. I was like, oh, I haven't been in the basement in at least a couple of years. And it's just so much more rigid now, you know, mm-hmm. which is wild. It's funny, you know, I write in my book about um, the heyday of the basement when me and all my friends were, well, not me, but all my friends were in kind of like terrible hardcore bands. And the oh, basement yeah, yeah. was just like, <laughs> let anyone play there pretty much. Um, and they would, like, they would like rent out the venue for cheap if you could get a bunch of bands on the bill. You know, you could rent out the venue for, like, 200 bucks, and that means that, like, you know, you would just have to sell some $5 tickets to your pals. You know, if you had, like, three three or four bands on the bill, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, and the, the, so the basement used to be this, like, weird, rowdy center for me and all my, like, punk friends. Uh, and so I, I love the basement. I love, uh, you know, it's different now, but and it could be that also that I'm older now. But I love the basement. I love how there's, like, a, it's, like, not, formatted well as a venue people are in the pit out of like obligation because they want to see you know and like right. <laughs> you're leaning you're like people are like leaning on the railing to try to you know I, I love that I love that there's like a couch you know just a random couch yeah. along the walls um, so I really adore the basement I, now in my like older age I, I like the LC outdoor or no it's not the LC anymore oh right Express uh, Live Express think, Live yeah. oh man so you know Columbus changing right um, the, the, I'm going to call it the LC, whatever. Uh, the outdoor LC, where it's like the grass. I like the LC because you can see from everywhere. Right, yeah. Uh, and as someone who, like, is past my prime of, like, being in the bottom of the, you know, being in the pit with the young folks, I like that I could just, like, sit on the grass and see the concert I want to see, you know, without having to move or push people around. I love the, I love a venue where you can see from everywhere. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure I had some romantic feelings about the Newport, but, I, you know, the Newport's, like, my least favorite place now in the world yeah you know that's like that's not exactly an uncommon thing i've noticed about you know musicians and, and bands around town yeah the newport not being Newport's, their favorite venue and like the newport kind of sucks like sound wise and no, everything sound, sound of the newport is awful the like layout of the newport's kind of awful to maneuver the newport kind of sucks because you you know you're like on campus and so if you go to the Newport, like when the Newport is kind of cool in the summer. I mean, again, I think I write about this in my book, too. The Newport's a different thing in the summer because all the college kids are gone. And like, you oh, know, right, yeah. the venue is often struggling to fill, you know, so they would let anyone play there. And that was kind of cool. I mean, I I do have great Newport memories. You know, I think the last 
the last time and I don't like love this I love this band because of the function of them being from here but and nostalgia but the last time I saw 21 Pilots before they got big big was mm-hmm. that show at the Newport they played right before they kind of like you know got major okay that yeah, was, yeah. that was a, that's a cool memory so I have memories like that with the Newport but it's like not a great venue yeah yeah same for me it's mostly tied to bands that happen to perform really well there that I you know had a great time oh like what bands like what bands um I saw I saw Minus the Bear there yeah Minus the Bear that's a great show what year um I think it was 2013 yeah I was at that show nice yeah that was a great show they're actually probably my favorite band um I've seen them like seven or eight times i think they're good they were great live there at the newport but i think one could argue that they're just a very good live band because they're so adaptable to the spaces they're in yeah uh they seem to be really just like yeah there are bands i think that like make the space bow to them um and there are bands that like definitely find themselves bowing to a space like i think modest mouse is a band that like bows to their spaces so so you could see a great modest mouse show and then like you could see them at a different venue and it's like they're an amateur band yeah, it's funny you bring that up, actually. The, so I saw them at the LC Outdoor. Like, Modest years ago. Yeah. yeah. But then my friends also saw them there a couple years later because they, they seem to always go there now. Yeah, they love so it there. Big. Yeah. And, like, yeah, they said the sound was awful. And, like, when I saw them, it wasn't too bad. And I saw them at another outdoor venue in Detroit. And, like, yeah, it's... Wait. I, did you see them with Brand New? Yeah. In, in that Michigan show? Yeah. I was at that show, too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> A yeah, what a weird show that was, right? Because it was like there was because um, they played first, right? And there was a weird section of people who were like decidedly only there to see Modest Mouse. Yep, yeah, and just left. Right. And it like, was. I mean, I mean, to me that was a little weird. I guess. I mean, my, now I have more complicated feelings about Brand New than I did then. Yeah. Um, but you know, in that moment before like the stuff about Jesse Lacey came out, I was like, I'm kind of here. And, and to be fair, Brand New's not a good live band for me. But I still will go see them as many times. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially since they like you never know when they're gonna break up. And yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah. like, I gotta seize this opportunity right. to go see them. I'd never seen them before, so I, that was my eighth time seeing them, and they've oh, only wow. been great like one time. But like you said, it's like um, I wouldn't go see Brand New now. But at that moment, I was like, well, they could break up any minute. Like this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but there were people who were like decidedly only there for Modest Mouse. And yeah, so, for like, sure. There I was like a you know like mass exodus yeah like (laughs) that blew my mind i was in a section i was in i was in like the section with like the seats the like comfortable section and after modest mouse played for real like 20 people left that section and i was like y'all paid for like these seats it was not a cheap show no (laughs) it it blew my mind and i i mean i came from columbus i was like visiting columbus and i drove up to see it and uh, it was wild i can't believe we were at that show the same show yeah yeah Yeah. it's funny um yeah are are you into fall of troy at all i am into fall of troy yeah have you ever seen them live? I've seen them live twice. Okay, same. Um, like more recently, or like not before more they broke up? Or? I saw them before they broke up. Okay, yeah. and I I thought those were those were like shows. Once I saw them in maybe Atlanta, somewhere in the South, and it was a show I wish I could relive. There yeah. aren't many shows I wish I could relive. I think because I I really have seen a lot of shows and I enjoyed you know, but that was a show I wish I could relive. Yeah, I, I would say, I would agree with that for the second time I saw them because like. They unfortunately I missed them before they broke up, and so yeah. I saw them in Pittsburgh like I don't know about a, a year or two ago, and then I saw them in Columbus um, just a few months ago, and like the first show. So so like I was always into their like older stuff. Yeah, um, and they're playing like a a nice like varied set, a couple songs from each album, 
Um, and right before they're about to get to the doppelganger stuff, which is my favorite album. That's the best. That's the classic. It's a classic. Yeah. Then like, so, so Thomas, the singer goes like, okay, we're about to play like some older stuff. And then someone in the crowd shouts like finally. And, and then he just gets so upset. I was going to say, he's, and, he's unpredictable. Yeah. And he was like, I'm only going to play songs off her new album now for the rest of the night. And they were only like a few songs into their set. So now I'm like, like, <laughs> he's, he's really unpredictable. But, um, but then the, yeah, the, the second show was like, they played a great set and like it was good energy. Yeah. Yeah. They're one of those bands you never know. Right. Yeah. As I get older, I'm less inclined to pay a lot of money to see bands that are kind of like a dice roll. For sure. The excitement in that's gone for me. I mean, yeah. I lived through, well, I lived through an era and lived through a scene where that was kind of appealing. You know, I came yeah. up on the like punk, pop punk, emo, hardcore scene going to shows. And there was a point where like that was the appealing thing when I was like 19 to be like, you know, well, let's go see this band. Who knows if they're going to be great or not? You know, you never know what you're going to get out of this band. Right. But now I'm just like, I don't have the time. It's not even a money thing. I, I'm, now I have more money, disposable income. <laughs> right. time, but it's a time thing. Like, I don't have the time to go see a band if I don't have some certainty that even if they're going to be bad, they're going to at least be exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what have you been listening to lately? Anything like stick out? Like, we, I've been listening to the Greatest Showman soundtrack a lot. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious. Um, the movie's very bad, but the soundtrack <laughs> is, is good. Um, like I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. Like, who's on the soundtrack? It's The Greatest Showman is uh, this like musical biopic about P.T. Barnum, and it's really oh. bad. But <laughs> it has Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron and Michelle Williams, um, and all the songs. And the, the songs in the context of the film are awful um, because they take up so much space that it really shrinks and makes the film claustrophobic. Mm. Um, but outside of the context of the film, they're delightful. I was just at the gym listening to it. Um, nice. So weirdly, that's what I've been listening to. But I'm also listening to like a lot of, um, I've been listening to a lot of Jawbreaker because they're they're kind of doing their, they're they're back and doing their their rounds. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of old Jawbreaker, um, and I've been listening to Gigs a lot. Who's this rapper from the UK who was on Drake's last album, um, and I love Gigs a bunch. I've been listening to the last Charlie XCX album or mixtape, whatever you want to call it, but I love it. Um, I thought Rick Ross was going to die, so I've been listening to, to a lot of Rick Ross because oh, yeah, there was, was a crazy. moment um, where we thought um, that Rick Ross was going to die, but apparently he's okay. Um, and yeah. <laughs> thankful. Shout out to Rick Ross. Um, and I recently wrote a, a very long thing on Julian Baker, um, the first part of which came out um, in New York Times Magazine this past weekend. Um, and so I've been listening to a lot of the last Julian Baker album. Yeah, that's that's a lot of good stuff. The yeah, Charlie I mean, XCS, XCX album or mixtape or whatever. Is whatever like, you want to call it. It's so an album. it's very like delightfully weird. Yeah, like, she's so odd. She's like a she's like a electronic robot. Yeah, kinda. it's like a very robotic. Yeah, and like I so I used to teach drum lessons, and um, I had only heard uh, what was her hit like boom or boom clap. Yeah, boom yeah. clap. The and sound so, of my heart or whatever yeah yeah and it was like i think maybe a six-year-old like when my six-year-old drum student was like hey i want to play this song and i was like yeah sure and so i had this like very much like i don't know like oh she's just sort of like this bubblegum sort of pop, yeah I guess. right and then i listened i didn't listen to anything of hers until pop too and i'm like this I, is not what i was expecting i mean i think she's a perfect example of doing the thing that doing the thing that gets you in the door so then you can do what you really want yeah right? 
for I sure. I mean, I, I wish that pop music didn't have that kind of uh, loophole to conquer, but it does, and that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Do you, did you get that vibe from Frank Ocean at all, like, with Blonde? Like, a little bit of... A little like bit. Like, he made that, like, R&B stuff, and then now he's just, like... I feel like with Frank Ocean, it might have been a more organic turn, right? In part yeah. because R&B is a dying genre, so there's not a lot of capital. There's not a, like, a lot of cultural capital or sonic capital in bowing to R&B. Um, or at least not straightforward R&B. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think Frank Ocean, perhaps... You know what was wild was that he, he took some time off, or not even that much time, and people lost their minds, right? It's so true. When that's... It's a function of like the, the, the way we consume music now where there's something new around every corner all the time. Mm-hmm. And so artists aren't afforded an opportunity to evolve slowly and you know, reform their tastes and chase after something new. And so I think Frank Ocean took the time to reform his palette and reform his aesthetics and chase after something new and exciting. And I think that was, gosh, who wouldn't want that to happen, you know? Yeah, and like, if you are looking to, you know, change your sound, if you want to do it in a private manner like he did, like, you know, not release yeah. any tracks every now and then that like maybe have a different vibe to them, like that's when you really get the either the backlash or just this weird like ex- this expectation. Yeah, it's I a guess. weird expectation. And he, he was maybe trying new things and trying new stuff that he didn't want to make public. It's so yeah. much harder to fail forward. It's mm-hmm. it's so much harder to fail falling forward when everyone is seeing every single part of your process right um and you know we're not in a cult we're not in a creative climate where people can kind of like fail comfortably and fail falling forward yeah for sure especially with like i don't know yeah it's a very recent like memory i feel like with um with social media and everything like twitter and everyone having like hot takes on everything absolutely it's like you can really i don't know sort of lose the the moment quickly. Absolutely. I feel like, um, I mean, there are a lot of layers to this, but like, I don't know, as the new Justin Timberlake album, it's like, oh, yeah. I almost, like, whenever I hear a song from that, like out, you know, um, in public or whatever, I'm like, oh, he released a new album. That's right. Are they playing it's, those songs out in public? I've, I heard, uh, what was the one with Chris Tableton? Oh, Say I, Something. Say Something. I actually like that one. That was it, yeah, the one song on the album I liked. I heard that at a bar like a couple weeks ago. Other than that, I haven't heard like, filthy or whatever that album really came and went yeah Yeah. i mean i think that album was flawed in a lot of ways but for sure and i think the album rollout was flawed in a lot of ways so that's another story entirely yeah exactly (laughs) um well so let's talk some basketball let's talk basketball yeah cool so so who's your team i'm a i'm a timberwolves (laughs) fan um i grew up loving kg um from his early iteration in the league so I'm, i'm a big timberwolves fan um though of course like i you know follow the Cavs intensely and wish them well um Cool. It helps that the Cavs are in the East and the Timberwolves are in the West, but for sure, um, yeah, I'm a huge Timberwolves fan. So, do you think they're going to make it in the playoffs this year? I mean, like, almost certainly. They would have to have a. Well, I mean, the funny thing about the West is that um, there's just a, a logjam of teams with like 29 losses. Yeah. From like, from the fourth seed to the like ninth, 
there's like two losses separating those teams. Yeah. So it's, what's frightening is that the Timberwolves wouldn't have to have even have this like huge collapse in order to miss the playoffs. But I think they're pretty safe. Okay. Um, I think they're winning regularly enough. I think they're gonna, assuming the Pelicans don't main the Pelicans went on this like weird, outrageous tear. Anthony Davis was like out of his mind. For, yeah. Like, Ten games. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they can maintain that. Yeah. And so assuming the Pelicans don't maintain, I think the Timberwolves are gonna be the fourth seed in the West. Okay. Um. That was a huge win over the Warriors on Sunday. It was huge. I, and I, the, if they can steal, they're, they're stealing these wins without Jimmy Butler, which is good because who mm-hmm. knows? Like, Jimmy Butler has been really vague about when he's coming back. Yeah. It's been very, like, you know, we know the injury, but we don't know the timeline. Um, but they, if they can steal these wins without Jimmy Butler, I, you know, I feel great about that. And um, How are you feeling about the, uh, the Derrick Rose signing? I don't like it. I, <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't. It's, you know, Tibbs, uh, Tom Thibodeau is, like, so loyal to these ex-Bulls, but Derrick Rose has nothing left. He's not the best person to have around on the team, it seems. Um, I want to say that it's probably very difficult to come to terms with the fact that you can't play anymore, especially if your career looks like the career of Derrick Rose. Right. Um, where you were extremely great and singular, and then were not. Imme- like, almost immediately not. Right. Um and I imagine it has to be hard to come to terms with that, but uh, you know, don't talk, you can't enable a guy. He can't play anymore. It's just like so evident that he can't play anymore. Yeah, especially when you have a, a young guy like Tyus Jones, like yeah. who should be getting minutes and developing. And I, I know that Tyus Jones is a bit undersized, but like he's a great backup, great yeah. backup point guard. Yeah. Um, and served the, when Teague was injured, he served that position well. Um, I just it's a baffling move. It's absolutely yeah. baffling. It doesn't help the team at all. Um, and he can't play. Derek Rowe, I mean, just flat out can't play. Yeah. So how do you feel about the, the Cavs, like their chances this year? Not good. I, you know, the East is a mess, though. The East is just... It really is. Uh, just such a tragic mess, <laughs> I, I think. Although I, the Raptors are The like Raptors are great. Right I, I think the Raptors... I think the Raptors... You, the thing with the Cavs is you just never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. The Cavs are a different team in the playoffs, so it's like... I'm not counting out LeBron yeah. in a seven game in any seven game series against anyone. It's um, on the flip side for the Raptors, like, and, the, that's a, and that's the thing with the Raptors that yeah. they they have not proven to be able to sustain in a seven game series. And so, the East is kind of a mess. You know, the Wizards are probably going to explode in the playoffs as always, and uh, you get these like exciting teams like the Sixers who will make a first round matchup really tough for someone, yeah. but I don't know if they can win one. Um, you know who people should worry about is the Pacers. Um, yeah, they're sneaky good. They're sneaky good, and, and yeah. I think they hold up. They can hold up in a seven-game series. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a streaky team, and so that is that bodes well. You know, like you get Victor Oladipo hot, a hot Victor Oladipo. Um, what do you do? Yeah. yeah, it's been so great to see his breakout. Yeah, this I've, year because like I loved him on the Magic, and then he sort of like you know didn't fit in well at OKC. Yeah, and now he's just killing it. Like he's owning that team. Yeah, yeah, he. The OKC thing was was unfair to him. He wasn't a good fit there. Yeah. Um, and I think they bought him to OKC in the hopes that it would, like, keep Durant there. Oh, right, Like, right. we're getting you help, too, so yeah. it's not just you, you and, and Russ. And then he kind of got – he put in a – this is, Indiana team's a perfect fit for him. Mm-hmm. I was so happy to see him make the all-star team and have been thrilled with his breakout. I, I think Indiana's team are watching the East. I, I don't know if the Cavs make it to the finals. I, I think – 
that maybe this is the year the Raptors figure themselves out in the playoffs. I think DeMar DeRozan's like way is a much different player than he has been. Mm-hmm. I think he's like finally figured out what game works for him. I think they have kind of a the right rotating cast of characters around him who if, I think Valanciunas is figuring himself out. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think the Raptors are maybe I, I would think that I think the NBA finals are, are the Raptors out of the East in Rockets, Golden State, whoever, whoever. I mean, that's gonna. I think that's easily the, the Western Conference final matchup. For sure, for sure. Houston, Golden State, and whoever can kind of fight them way, their way out of that series, and that's gonna be. I mean, I'll be very disappointed and surprised if that's not the Western Conference Finals. I would love to watch that series. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Like, this seems like if the Raptors don't do it this year, I mean, the Cavs are in flux, and the Celtics have so many injuries now. It's just like yeah. every day someone else is hurt. Yeah. The Celtics are about one year away. Yeah. If the Raptors don't do it this year, they've got to blow the team up. Right. They, they, I mean, this is, the year, this is the year to do it. Every other year it's been like, well, the Cavs are a little too good. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, this team is going to give them fits. This is, if the Raptors can't do it this year, then, you know, you got to figure out, like, Lowry's got to go. He's aging anyway. Right, Like, yeah. trade off on some of the young big, ta- big man talent they have. But there's, there's, you know, I look at the NBA and I think about – the future of it, and I want to see a lot of these teams, a lot of the like young but bad teams. My um, my partner lives in Phoenix, and so by default, I've kind of began to f- follow the Phoenix Suns. And like, mm-hmm. there's just no hope, you know. The team yeah, has all rough. these like young big men who mm-hmm. kind of do the exact same thing, and none of them do it extremely well. Right. Um, and then you have Devin Booker, who is immensely gifted, but needs a a, a point guard. They don't have an effective point guard mm-hmm. around him, and because the big men aren't very good, they don't create space for him. And so, gosh, like, but at the same time, I think a lot of people in Phoenix are really hopeful because they're like, we're going to get a top three draft pick, and this is one of the best drafts yeah. to get a top three draft pick in. Mm-hmm. And what great things could come out of this. And they have just so much trade. They trade one of those big men right. for anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a team I really hope. I'm pulling for them, too, because they've been bad for a while now. Yeah. I mean, they had that sort of one outlier year where they – or like one game short of the playoffs. Yeah, that was um, weird. A couple years ago. Yeah, but I don't know. That, that was pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> they had that weird three point guard thing going with with Dragic and, yeah. and it and, and Bledsoe. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, it's it's you know they were a, a team I looked at because like I sort of like you know I have Cavs as my East team and Grizzlies as my West team, oh, which no. has been a rough year. <laughs> but do you just like Michael Conley? Uh, I, I, yeah, I like Mike Conley. I love Marcus All too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I really just, their whole, like, the grit and grind, like, yeah. ethos, which is now pretty much dead. But when that was a thing, like, they were so fun to watch. Yeah, they're awful uh, this year. But it's been very bad. So a lot of people are calling for them to blow it up. And I'm like, well, look at the Suns or, or I mean, like, teams like that. Yeah. It's not a guaranteed route. Or the Magic, like. I mean, so the Magic are in trouble in a different way. I think the Magic, where the Grizzlies have like some injuries, but still some hope on the horizon, and the Suns sure. have like a lot of youth and a lot of tradable youth and a lot of like excitement. I don't know what the Magic. The Magic don't seem to have exit strategy, you know. Yeah, they sort of made some weird win some now really moves, weird moves with Ibaka like a year yeah. ago and all that that kind of stuff. And, and I don't know. They don't have. They don't have a lot of talent, and they don't have a lot of like tradable assets, and they don't have anyone to build around really right um the Suns can say okay we've got devin booker who who, who wouldn't want to play with one of the, what's he like 21 or something yeah and he like regularly puts up you, you know, know he's 30 40 50 he's one of the best young players in the game and the the grizzlies are aging but they still have that core of of conley gasol and like mm-hmm. 
they're like a player away from being back in the playoffs, you know? And some, For sure. Like, a player away in some injury luck. Yeah. But the Magic, what do you do? They don't have much of anyone. There's, I think they're several drafts away. Yeah. I think they're at least three drafts away. <laughs> uh, and that's unfortunate, but I don't know. It, it is rough to be a Magic fan, I imagine. For sure. Well, um, we're running short of time. You know, I'd love to keep talking basketball, but we'll have to wrap it up here. Um, so that's all the time we have today for the BPL podcast. Um, again, I want to thank our special guest, Tanif Abdurkey. Hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>